This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. The story that everybody's talking about this morning, it broke late last night, probably after many of you went to bed. Uh, Ontario Progressive Conservative leader Patrick Brown has stepped down as leader of the party uh, in the midst of allegations about sexual misconduct. Uh, There was a statement from Brown initially last evening, and uh, he, as expected, went on the defensive. A couple hours ago, I learned about troubling allegations about my conduct and character, and I'm here tonight to address them. First, I want to say these allegations are false, categorically untrue, every one of them. I will defend myself as hard as I can with all means at my disposal. Uh, A very rattled uh, Patrick Brown uh, addressing the media Uh, We are told that after that, uh, he uh, did some phoning around to members of his caucus uh, because a number of his staff resigned. Uh, And uh, he, I guess as a result of those phone calls, decided about 1.30 this morning to actually resign as party leader. He says he is staying on as the MPP for Barry, but, uh, well, we'll see what happens with that. All kinds of reaction on this and uh, what's happened, what the uh, implications will be. And uh, let's not forget there's an election coming up in June 7th. Uh, that's a pretty short period of time when you all of a sudden have to select a new leader. To start off our coverage today, we're uh, pleased to welcome Richard Brennan back to the program, retired journalist for, with the Toronto Star, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years. Richard, thanks so much for the time. It's great to have you with us this morning. Good morning, Bill. There's uh, quite the night. You've uh, you've seen the ebbs and flows of the, of the political uh, structures as you've covered this for years and years and years. This one kind of came out of left field, didn't it? Well, or, or did it? it I, I can't go off the deep end here too much, but, uh, you know, people always uh, said there was something off-putting about Brown and they couldn't put their finger on it. Now, I'm not saying what that was, and but I'll tell you, as soon as I heard that his uh, senior advisors, including his chief of staff, had resigned, well, the party was over. I mean, he even resigned a little quicker than I thought, but, you know, good for him, you know, it stopped the bleeding. But when you hear that his chief of staff and senior advisors immediately resigned, well, you know this is a bad thing going on here. Well, they were obviously responding to the stories as as this news broke late yesterday. And and as you say, it was almost a, a mass resignation, a number of key people. And I were told, Richard, they encouraged him to resign at that time, and he said no. Well, I know, well, you know, but, uh, you know, ego gets in the way. I'm not surprised at that. Nobody, nobody wants to look at themselves in the mirror and say, look, at, am I really going to step down after all the work I did to get here? And then finally reality sets in and says, you know what, uh, time's up, and uh, here you go. But now I'm one of the ones, and I may be a minority here, but I don't think this is a bad thing. I know it's only a few months to the election, but the point is that this really, and this is an expression that uh, some people might not want me to use, but anyway, you know, it's, they're flushing well, It wouldn't the be the toilet. first time you've ruffled feathers, Richard, come on. <laughs> they're the, uh, flushing the toilet here. There's a lot of conservatives that did not like Patrick Brown. And a lot of people still didn't know who Patrick Brown was, and for better or worse, didn't maybe like the looks of him. Anyway, it doesn't. It, that really doesn't matter. But the point is, he wasn't gaining traction. At this point, he should have been miles ahead of the liberals. 
in the polls, and there were still polls out there that had them, you know, had some him ahead, but there was also other polls that had them virtually neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, this close to an election, neck and neck, come on. I, I've heard the same rumblings, and it's interesting that you brought that up because I've seen some of the reaction on social media uh, from folks that I know are small C conservative. I don't know if they're party members or not, but certainly leaning towards the right of the political spectrum. Uh, and aside from the shock of the story itself and, and the, the allegations about the, the, the alleged behavior of Patrick Brown, they're looking at this and saying, you know what, I'm kind of glad he's gone. Oh, I know. And, and, no, and really, uh, <laughs> I don't know. How this all came about, a lot, of, a lot of the supporters, Patrick Brown supporters, would say this was all cooked up by the liberals. Well, I don't know I buy into that, quite frankly. But uh, anyway, now this really paves the way for, for fresh blood to come in. If someone, and I'm just throwing these names out, I'm not saying that they're... Well, join the club. I mean, yeah. look at some of the names that have been brought up well, already Kathy today. Well, Rooney jumps to mind right away. And, uh, you know, or, or Christine Elliott coming back in the fray. I don't know, so I don't even really know if Christine wants to get back into the fray. You know, she's got a pretty good job now as a mentor at the health and budsman. And, and I, but again, I, I'm one of the ones I think it really should be a woman. I really do. Um, we, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, talented people in the, in the, in the Tory party, but they've been around a long time. They need, they need a fresh face here, and they need to get in there with somebody that's got good ideas and, and modern ideas and, and know where to take the party in this day and age. Well, there's the, the rub for, for most of the people that I've talked to that had some concerns about Patrick Brown, and this, this predates these allegations. Uh, they're just talking about his performance as the leader of the party, and, and they all mentioned to a person, Richard, what you've just talked about, is that they this race should have been over a long time ago, and it's not. And and they, they point the finger at him and just say there's something about him. And, and it's not just the, the politicos that are, I think had that feeling. Poll after poll kept saying, look, they just don't, there's something about this guy that just didn't resonate with the public. Uh, and, and I don't know exactly what that is from a personality standpoint, from a policy standpoint. But what a lot of conservatives were telling me is, look, I don't know who this guy is. You know, is, is he a conservative? Uh, you know, he was, he was against the, the, the civil marriage law when he was a, a, peace, uh, a member of parliament. Now apparently he's embracing LGBTQ rights. Uh, has he changed? Or is this, well, is, and he you know, also he wanted to bring, you know, get, uh, bring the abortion law up for yeah. debate again. And, you know, but, you know, you got, I think what troubled people is that this guy came from out of nowhere. He's a hard worker. He's a go-getter. The guy, I don't think, sleeps. But in Ottawa, he was nobody. And when I mean nobody, you know, if, you, if there could have been seats in the parking lot, he would have been there. He just he didn't resonate with anybody or anything. He was just, a, you know, a guy that just showed up to work every day. And God bless him, he did come out and, and he beat Christa, Christine Elliott fairly handily. But again, what's happened since then? What's he done to make an impression on, on the public? There's certainly nothing I can see. Which, which I think was the, the major concern that the conservatives had. And, and as you say, there are polls that indicate that this is a neck-and-neck race. Some have them slightly ahead as this goes on. But, but I'm interested in how the, the, the PCs are going to handle this. Uh, I, I'm told our, our, our friend Anthony Fury from London, our, our course station down there, 
I uh, just tweeted a couple of minutes ago that he says apparently they're going to select an, I, I don't know if it's going to be an interim leader or the person who's going to take them through. Uh, they say there'll be an announcement tomorrow morning, which is pretty quick, wouldn't you think? Oh, no, no, uh, not at all. Uh, no, they, uh, they've got to pick somebody right away. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Vic Fidelli from North Bay uh, as an as an interim leader. Yeah, he's the, he's the he's been the finance guy for the longest time oh, for yeah. that party, and, right? You know, and, and a bright guy and a former mayor, and he'd be a perfect guy to do the interim job, no question about it. But they have they're smart to do this right away. How they stick handle this is going to determine whether they form the next government or not. In a in a roundabout way, and I, I'm I'm not dismissing the allegations because they're serious, and that's the story here about two women that that have come forward, and that that has to be addressed. But from the political standpoint, uh, the fallout from this, in, in a rather bizarre sense, this could actually give them that 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 bump in the polls that they've been looking for, that they thought they were going to get when they selected him. Well, you know what? Don't don't discount the sympathy factor here. There will be people who say, well. You know, they made a mistake, you know, picking this guy in the first place. You know, that they, they deserve a chance. You know, we don't like uh, we don't like the liberals or an NDP or whatever it might be. But they, they, I mean, this is, I really think this is an opportunity. I, I really do. But how they do it is, uh, is, is the big question. What about some outsiders? I mean, you mentioned uh, oh. Mulroney's name comes up. Uh, I mean, Lisa McLeod, who's been part of the caucus for the longest time, very vocal critic of the government. I like Lisa. Um, I'm hearing uh, I'm, I'm hearing Lisa Raitt's name mentioned an awful lot. Uh, you know, who ran for the, the national leadership of the, of the federal party. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but, I, I, well, somebody <laughs> suggested Kelly Leach. I don't think they're going that way. Oh, do <laughs> Jesus. I, w- I would not recommend that. Thank you very much. Uh, no, I think she's going back to be a pediatrician anyway, but... Uh, uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't think that would be a good idea. And you know, and, and Lisa Rates a, a really nice person. Uh, but you know, just because you just because you did Ottawa doesn't mean you can do Queens Park. It is a whole different kettle of fish, believe me. And many politicians that have made you know the cross between the two will tell you just that. Uh, the reporters are, are far more aggressive, and and it's. Uh, and it's a smaller place, but it's a very aggressive house. It, it's there's it's not an easy ride in Queens Park by any stretch of the imagination. Well, and let's face it. I mean, June seventh is coming upon us rather quickly, and uh, whoever is going to take the reins of this party at this stage has got to hit the ground running. It better be somebody who's already been in the ball game. You would think, uh, because of the issues that are at play right now, you you haven't got much time here for the, uh, the the public to embrace and learn about somebody new. They better already have some idea as to who it is and, and what they stand for. Well, that's just it. I mean, you, you, Catherine Mulroney's got the, you know, he's, he's got the chops for the job, job uh, but after she has some experience. And you, you don't get the, you don't get that kind of experience within the next few months. So, I mean, that's, that's tough for somebody like that. I really believe that if Christine uh, decided to, you know, come back into the fray, that she would, you know, she would probably, you know, have a very good chance at it. But again, it's the time's tight, really tight. But again, it's not impossible. What about Brown himself? He says he's staying on as uh, as the MPP for Barry again in the House. That's my opinion. 
that this is it. That's it for him. Yeah, you, he he'll just take some time and and you know and and maybe you know if he does, it'll be much closer to the election. He, he's going to be gone for some time. He's got to collect himself, find out where he's where his you know his his uh, career is going. He's going to going to have to deal with these allegations. And these allegations, remember, as we've seen with the, the Me Too, this this could just have opened the floodgates. Uh, so much speculation at this stage, Richard. We'll uh, see what the, uh, the official word is going to be. Thanks so much for opening up the conversation today. Really appreciate it. All right, Bill. Take it easy. Richard Brennan, of course, uh, former uh, Toronto Star journalist who covered Queen's Park for many, many years. Alan Carter uh, is the uh, co-host of uh, Global News at 530 and, of course, Queen's Park Bureau Chief. He is with us now on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Alan, thanks so much for uh, taking some time. It's a busy day for you and a busy morning already, isn't it? Well, I'm honored to come on after the Badger. That's, that, that's a lead. <laughs> well, you guys were shoulder to shoulder for the longest time in, uh, at Queen's Park, and uh, we've got Richard in our neck of the woods now. He's living in Dundas in uh, retirement. But uh, as you can hear, you heard, Alan, he's 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 gone, but he's uh, he's still in the ball game. No matter well, what happens, well, uh, he still evokes fear of uh, <laughs> government staffers. Just his name. It's funny. I had uh, Burlington Mayor Rick Goldring on the show last week, and he was talking about uh, a meeting he attended. Uh, and I think it was an AMO meeting, and the premier was there with some others, and, and Richard was the uh, the moderator, and he says, "Boy, he's he's aggressive." And I said, "Yeah, well, that's the reputation." But <laughs> listen, t- let's let's get to the to the story at hand here. Your your reaction? I mean, this broke late last night, actually early into this morning. Uh, did it come out of left field? Richard uh, told us at the beginning of our conversation a few minutes ago. Alan, he wasn't totally surprised by this. No, and it's not a surprise. I think anybody who's covered Patrick Brown since he has run for the leadership, we have all heard uh, rumors, uh, and and I want to be clear that these are rumors that we have heard, and nothing that that past my desk ever uh, amounted to anything even close to the allegations that went on the record um, last night from these two women. But the allegations have long been against Mr. Brown that he is a bit of a ladies' man, if we can use the parlance of the time, uh, and that he had a penchant for younger girlfriends. Um, but no one had ever suggested anything in terms of what we heard last night, which was at least one of the women saying that what she considered to have, have happened to her to be sexual assault. And that is the story, as I mentioned in my commentary at eight ten this morning. I mean, the story here is about two women who had the courage to come forward and 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 to make these allegations and tell their stories, and and that has to be dealt with and will be in the, in the passage of time, whether it's through the court system or whatever the case might be. But uh, it is uh, interesting, and I think it's important that we still talk about the ramifications of this because there is an election coming up in just a couple of months. How is this going to impact what's going to happen here? Well, it throws everything into absolute disarray. I mean, every prognostication and every prediction that we've had to this point is now off the table um, because there are just simply too many questions. I would expect that later today we're going to hear from the PC caucus, which will name it uh, an interim leader. Uh, I'm hearing that uh, Jim Wilson may be tapped again to step back into the breach. He was uh, interim leader um, in between Mr. Hudak and uh, Mr. Brown's uh, election as party leader, he could, it would it be a similar role. situation to what the feds uh, did, uh, Alan, where uh, whoever they do select is going to be somebody who they know isn't going to run for the leadership. Yeah, that's generally the way you go okay. with an interim leader is you, you whoever you put in basically disqualifies themselves. So it's difficult to to know who is jockeying for uh, position here. But what I would expect is that the 
conservatives will, if not today, within the next couple of days, they may take the weekend to try and mull it over and see the logistics of it, but they'll probably announce some kind of truncated leadership because they really don't have any idea options. I mean, the, the party constitution precludes um, basically the caucus from just saying, well, we're just going to elect our own leader, and that's the person that's going to lead us into the next election. And and to say that somehow there's just not enough time. There's enough time. And remember, the liberals, I mean, they had a little bit more runway with the election of Kathleen Wynne, but they only had a couple of months in between um, Mr. McGinty stepping aside and uh, Ms. Wynne winning the liberal leadership. So it can be done. Uh, it will be difficult. It won't be the same kind of robust discussion over party uh, direction, but I think the question bill's got to be this move that Brown did with the party to yank it to the center and the people's guarantee and the very centrist ideas that he put forward. Can someone else just take his face off the people's guarantee and put their face on instead and keep all of that party proposal? That will be difficult to see. Well, yeah, uh, forget that guy. He never existed. Uh, that's that's a daunting task with an election coming up. Uh, just another slow day at Queen's Park, I guess, Alan. Uh, and I don't know what you guys and far are going to talk about at 5.30 on Global News, but I'm sure you'll come up with something. There's so much going on here, yeah. breaking by the moment. Thanks so much for this today, Alan. Yeah, join us tonight at uh, 5.30. I'll be uh, live tonight uh, at Queen's Park with the very latest as it unfolds over the course of today. Looking forward to it. Thanks again, Alan. Alan, Alan Carter, of course, the, uh, the co-host of Global News at 530 and the uh, Queens Park Bureau Chief. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. A uh, lot of action on social media, as you might expect, about the Patrick Brown resignation. Uh, interesting uh, comment from our friend Terry Cook from the uh, Hamilton Community Foundation, of course, re- former regional chair. Uh, Terry tweets uh, just a few minutes ago at CHML. Bill Kelly says, anybody doubting that misogyny is alive and well in Canada need only reread the news comment pages and social media as the Patrick Brown allegations landed. The victim blaming and the hateful vitriol directed at Kathleen Wynne was deeply disturbing and all you really needed to know. Uh, not just towards Wynne, thanks uh, Terry for the tweet, uh, but towards the victims. And I've seen that. Listen, I've just since we started doing the show today received some, some emails saying, well, you know, this is all a set up by the liberals and those girls coming forward. Why didn't they just go to the cops, etc.? It's victim blaming. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised because we've heard it with some of the other allegations about other well-known individuals that uh, have faced uh, these same sorts of allegations. Uh, there are political ramifications to this, uh, notwithstanding the seriousness of the allegations themselves against Patrick Brown, uh, because there is an election coming up on June the 7th. What's going to happen? Uh, what are the ramifications politically in the province of Ontario? Peter Graf is a professor of political science at McMaster University. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Peter, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you here today. My pleasure. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the political landscape. Uh, there is, uh, I guess, varying stories about where the polling was on this. I mean, some suggested that the, the Tories had a, a a comfortable lead. Others thought it was neck and neck. But uh, with the leader gone right now, what does that do to the political fortunes of the PC party here in Ontario? Uh, I guess it depends what they do going forward. I mean, I think in the immediate uh, question it will be that people will be asking is, you know, was this a Patrick Brown problem or a PC party problem? And, uh, you know, part of it will be if this was really an open secret, like some suggested is, you know, did people willfully uh, look away when they could have shown a bit more integrity? So I think one thing the, the Ontario public will be looking at at the moment is to get a sense of, you know, what seems to be the story. And, uh, you know, was it just Patrick Brown or was there a, a bigger question of a 
culture of willing being willing to accept it until someone came forward. So that will be one thing, and I don't know what the answer will be in terms of that factually and how people will read it. I mean, beyond that, though, they, the Conservative Party does have to find a new leader. Um, it does have to prepare for the election. And so I guess whether it's uh, going to help or hurt them depends a bit on whether people think Patrick Brown was a net positive or negative for the party. In terms of the polling, uh, you know, up to yesterday, he was in many ways a fairly neutral uh, candidate. Uh, a lot of people didn't know him. About as many people approved of the job he was doing as disapproved of the job he was doing. So in some ways, the Conservatives might consider that a, a different candidate might be more successful or saleable for them. Uh, you know, that remains to be seen. But, uh, I mean, I think that would be a question they'd be asking themselves. I mean, they certainly have selected their candidates in most cases for the upcoming election. Um, they have a very strong war chest in terms of money to spend in introducing whoever they choose as their next leader to the Ontario public. Um, so in some ways for the Conservative Party, it's not clear what the, the real ramifications are going to be at this point. You know, it's interesting that you bring up a very salient point that I haven't heard a whole lot of reaction to, but I think it is very germane to this conversation. Uh, I just talked with Alan Carter, of course, who covers Queen's Park for Global, and Richard Brennan, who did it for years and years for the Star. And, and neither one of them were surprised by this, uh, that, that these allegations came forward. And it's, it's almost as if some of the reaction from the quote-unquote insiders is it was a matter of when this was going to happen, not if it was going to happen. And that brings up a very interesting point. Will the public look at it that way, too? Are they going to ask that question uh, the same as they asked in Hollywood circles? Who knew and what did you do about it? And, and that, we haven't got to that point in this conversation, but I guess it's coming, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it remains to be seen. There are some reports, I think, in the National Post last night that a number of news organizations were running down, uh, maybe not this story, but other allegations. Uh, I mean, if more of that comes forward and it seems to be much broader and more systematic, you know, questions, I think, will be asked. I mean, uh, Rick Dykstra, the president of the Conservative Party of Ontario, there were somewhat different allegations uh, put forward about him just ahead of the last federal election. And again, that might come into people's thinking about you know, really, what is the culture of that party? But again, I mean, it remains to be seen. I think the the sort of facts aren't clear. And, uh, you know, knowing and having a bit more of a sense of, you know, what was known and what did people choose to be willfully blind to uh, will be part of the story of whether that becomes uh, part of our public conversation or whether really, you know, it wasn't known, and in which case we may pass on to other, other uh, aspects of, you know, the situation. From a political standpoint, uh, quite aside from the allegations and how th those are going to be dealt with, uh, Brown has stepped down, I, and, and again, it took him a while to do that. When the, the mass resignations occurred yesterday from st senior staff members, uh, Brown said at that time he was going to stay on. At 1.30 this morning, he announced that he was going to quit. But he says he's going to stay on as the MPP, Peter. Is, is that actually going to happen? I mean, can this guy actually go back into the legislature with these, these, these clouds all over his head, and, and whether it's going to be resolved or not? Well, I mean, I think that's going to be a, a discussion inside the Conservative caucus. I mean, the, the move from him saying he was going to come to work today as leader and then four hours later resigning, I mean, came in between. There was a meeting uh, with his caucus, a phone uh, meeting, where they said, uh, you'd better resign or we're going to be publicly asking for your resignation the next day as leader. Uh, I mean, I think the next step for that caucus to decide is, uh, you know, whether... Uh, they're fine to have him uh, sitting in their caucus or when, in fact, they're going to kick him out of their caucus. I suspect what they'll do is suspend or remove him, uh, you know, pending the settlement of the uh, allegations or, in, or or for their information, uh, because otherwise they are put in a bit of a diff difficult situation of why are they harboring uh, this individual, uh, you know, given the seriousness of the allegations. And I suspect, at the very least from a political optics perspective, they'll want to put as much space between themselves and Patrick Brown. 
who's going to run this party at the end of the day? I mean, we're told now that the caucus is going to have a meeting tomorrow morning, uh, in which case they'll choose, I guess, an interim leader, and we can speculate about that. Alan Carter suggested it probably is going to be Jim Wilson, who did this before. He was interim leader, uh, I think, after John Tory left the party, uh, and probably has no ambitions to be the leader of the party on a full-time basis anyway. But over and above that, they're going to have to pick somebody to, to be the standard bearer heading into the election. Do you see any front runners? Uh, no, I mean, I suspect uh, there will be a lot of discussions uh, in the next four or five days, and the, the aspect of uh, urgency around it, I think, will lead uh, people to make a decision relatively quickly, or at least to identify, you know, two or three front runners if they're going to have some kind of form of truncated uh, leadership uh, selection election. Um, I mean, you know, we can think, I mean, some people have been uh, bandying around a name like Caroline Mulrooney, but I mean, I think we might also think of Christine Elliott, who ran against uh, Patrick Brown as the establishment candidate in the last uh, conservative uh, leadership race as another possibility. Uh, but then there's also uh, somewhat high-profile federal, uh, you know, former cabinet ministers like Lisa Rayet or Tony Clement. So uh, I suspect there will be a lot of discussion in the next few days about who's available and who might be able, uh, you know, to sell uh, the Conservative Party in the next election. I mean, the other thing, of course, is that at six months from the election, the Conservative Party has sketched out a platform and a vision of what they want to do, one that's been controversial internally. And so part of the question is whether uh, the people who come forward are going to say, no, that's actually what we're going to carry into the election and we can do it, you know, honestly with the Ontario people that will really deliver that, or whether it becomes a moment where they have to rethink what they're going to offer to Ontarians in, in June. So I think that will be, you know, one of the important things is, does this open up the internal politics of the Conservative Party and, and what they stand for in 2018? Uh, or are they going to say, no, we've, we've made those tough decisions and now it's just we have to find someone who can honestly and credibly deliver that set of policies. From a political standpoint, Peter, is, is this time for the PCs to hit the reset button? I mean, obviously there's going to be a new leader, but, but over and above that, that idea about the philosophical direction the party is taking, which has been controversial within the party, let alone outside the party, is this a chance for them to, to have a second look at that? Well, I mean, I would think that a lot of people who might uh, run for leader would ha- would be unable to credibly uh, push forward the program that Patrick Brown put forward. I mean, if we name any of the sort of former federal uh, cabinet ministers who swore, you know, on their, you know, on their, de- you know, that they they would never on their mother's grave that they'd never support a carbon tax, <laughs> they can't be supporting this uh, this program, right? So. Uh, and, you know, if there's a number of people who have more uh, socially conservative views than uh, the conservatives were putting forward in this platform. So in some cases, they might, in fact, have to go back and revisit the platform uh, because I don't think Ontarians could credibly, you know, uh, square what's in there with some of the things that they formerly held as, you know, very strong values. So uh, I think it is complicated in that way. I think another complication is that the, the Conservative Party in Queen's Park is fairly rural, uh, uh, in its uh, in its makeup, right? Its representation is largely from rural areas. It's kind of older and white. And a lot of the new members of the Conservative Party that uh, Patrick Brown signed up were in the suburbs and exurbs of Toronto, and a much more diverse uh, uh, a group of citizens in terms of the the as compared to the what's sitting in the legislature. And so, there too, you know, is a new leader able. Uh, to bring those two and keep those two groups together for electoral purposes? Or did some of the people that Patrick Brown bring into the party, are they going to find themselves not so welcome if the Conservative Party goes back to perhaps the positions it was holding under Tim Hudak uh, or John Tory? Lots of speculation at this stage. Uh, always great to get your insight into this, Peter. Thanks so much for this today. You're welcome. Peter Grafe, uh, political science professor, of course, at McMaster University.
I want to bring uh, Alex Pearson into the conversation, the host of On Point with Alex Pearson, which is heard every weeknight here on 900 CHML. And uh, uh, first of all, Alex, busy day today. Thanks so much for uh, jumping in on this. I appreciate it. Busy night last night. Yeah, it uh, kind of came out of nowhere, but kind of everyone knew. Yeah. Talk to me about that, if you could. I mean, because you've been around for the longest time, and you've got some perspective and some insight into this. I just talked with Richard Brennan and Alan Carter earlier in the show. Uh, neither one of them seemed surprised by this. They they said, you know, we'd always heard rumors, etc. Have you heard? Was this news to you and a shock to you? Well, look, I, I, I will I will tell you now because some people don't know. I worked on the campaign um, for just shy of a year before I came back into broadcast. So I have a, a perspective and a context on this that that few others do. Um, I I mean, there are always lots of rumors and innuendo, not just with Patrick Brown, not like it's everywhere in politics. I know stories that would blow your mind. Am I going to say them? No, because if they're unsubstantiated and you don't have, um, you know, 100 percent, you you just can't run with them. I mean, so we all know stories and whispers in the media. There's no question. And uh, some people would be kind of shocked that they haven't gotten out. Um, but, yeah, there were always whispers uh, going on. Uh, again, what they exactly were, no one had the exact details. So I, I wasn't surprised that damaging uh, information came out. I have always said that this was going to be the ugliest, ugliest election that we have ever seen in this province. And I'm not wrong because um, politics is not for the weak. Politics is a blood sport. And, um, you know, we've got some information that we're working on uh, trying to, to source out that, that we will hopefully have uh, for noon of, of how this came to be. Um, and it's, it's pretty stunning. But, you know, I can just tell you that there, there were going to be damaging what we call brown envelopes coming from the liberal side, uh, more damaging as they come along in the days to the election. Um, and it seems that, uh, and I'm not even suggesting that the source comes, uh, that the leak would come from them on this, but this story um, kind of was the nail in the, the proverbial political coffin. And, and we knew as soon as this story, but as soon as I saw that there was a 945 press conference held or being held, emergency press conference being held by Patrick Brown, I knew it was over. I, I knew that there was something um, coming out that, that he could not survive. And he, there's no way he could have survived this. Not in this climate, uh, Bill. It's just way too toxic. Well, he says he's going to stay on as the MPP for Barry. Uh, mm-hmm. Richard suggests that we've seen the last of him at Queen's Park. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, whether you like Patrick Brown or not, um, you know, I got a chance to know him. He's a different person than what you see, which, I mean, in politics, he was very cardboard, very kind of stiff, not much of a personality. But if you actually get to know him, you know, you always hear about politics. Or politicians are nice. Tim Hudak was nice or Kathleen Wynne is nice. They're all nice, as was Patrick Brown. And he worked really, really hard. He had no life. All he did was dedicate his life to building this party and winning this election. And um, But to, to know him on a personal level, he, he's a joker. He loves to joke around. Uh, and there was never a sense in the office that there was anything uh, untoward. There were a lot of women who actually uh, worked in his office, and, and it was all very uh, professionally done. Um, and he's very popular in his riding of Barrie. I mean, as a, a, a junior reporter in my first, uh, you know, kind of job in Ontario at the VR, I used to have to talk to him when he was kind of, he was, I think, a local city councillor. So he's got a long, long uh, and big profile in his hometown riding. Um, and they like him there. He's done a lot for that community. 
I don't think he can stay. Um, you know, in this client bill, the stories are just going to keep coming out. The rumors are just going to keep coming out. I would not be surprised to hear other women. I think as a woman, and I might not be saying what everyone else does and what's popular, but we are in a climate that, you know, if I'm a man today, I'm, I'm terrified of what's possibly coming out. Certainly if I'm a high-profile man, because we are living in a different time than, let's say, what happened back in 2004, 2005. Um, and, you know, things are going to start to come out on a lot of men, and I don't know what happened. I wasn't there, but I don't think it's, I don't think Patrick Brown would be the only man who has ever asked a woman back to his place to fool around. It's, it is just what happens between men and women. Now, if there's something more serious that can be proved, okay, but I do think everyone deserves to have some due process, and, and I think we have to remember that these are allegations um, and but, be it serious, they're not proven. But they are serious allegations, nonetheless. Yeah. But I, I agree, and I mentioned that on my commentary this morning. Uh, Patrick Brown is, deserves and will get his, his day in court. I don't, we, well, he we, won't. Well, maybe he not. Won't, he's done, his life is destroyed. Well, but the other side of this, Alex, is, and you know, and Patrick Brown certainly knows, we all know, that the court of public opinion is what rules yep. political lives. It's not 100%. necessarily what goes on in the court. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Kathleen 100%. Wynne, whether you're Patrick Brown or anybody else. And uh, they're they're rendering their decision these days. I guess the question the PCs are going to have to be asking themselves right now is how do you get up off the floor? Well, look, I think anybody doing the dance over in the Liberal camp or the NDP camp that this is celebration time should stop doing that dance right now. Because if, and that's a big if, if the PCs play this right, and they're very smart about this, can in fact rebuild and they could in fact win the election because the dislike and anger towards this liberal party is so deep the biggest challenge or one of for patrick brown was that people didn't like him they didn't know who he was he hadn't been able to break through and become like a personality he wasn't justin trudeau he wasn't a known brand like kathleen Wynne or john tory people didn't know him and they were like well what does he stand for um, but he did build that platform from, uh, uh, pardon me, the base from 12,000 to 200,000 people, to 200,000 members. He had an extraordinary ground game that doesn't really get mentioned. Uh, so can the party rebuild? Absolutely. And if they go with the right person, uh, they could very well win the next election. And the names that I will go to, and I know all of the candidates, um, having worked with a lot of them, there's some very, very good people in that party. So the names like Vic Fideli you're going to be hearing. You're going to hear uh, a guy named Rod Phillips, who is a Bay Street guy, a star candidate, very, very, very sharp. But you're going to hear some names, I think, that surprise you. You'll hear Carolyn Mulroney's name, a, a very likable, extremely smart woman, but she doesn't, I don't think, have the confidence yet or the experience of politics quite yet to, to go, but she could very well get in and run. Christine Elliott's another name that we will be hearing. Well, we've I'm thrown a lot of names yeah. out from yeah. from bygone uh, cabinets. Christine Elliott, who, of course, ran against uh, Patrick Brown. Yeah. Uh, Tony Clement's name is being mentioned again. Yeah. I don't know if he wants to come yeah. back into the provincial scene or, I'm not hearing or if he's even welcomed by the party. Yeah, I'm hearing four names. Two of them I will not say quite yet, but there are two other names that people will say, oh, wow, those are interesting. Um, we'll have those a little bit later in a couple of hours. We're just just still trying to confirm that information. But um, there are four names in the running for this, and I suspect uh, and, and any of them would be very, very good. Um, I think people who say it has to be a woman, no, it doesn't. It has to be someone who's competent. 
It has to be someone who people can trust. It has to have someone who's got a little bit of um, name recognition behind them where they are not having to brand themselves uh, over a couple of years. And I think whomever is picked as, as leader, Bill, because there's so much attention on that, it's almost like they get like a free mini campaign because they'll just get non-stop coverage. And then the voters who are now paying attention because it takes a good sex, sexual bombshell to get people's attention. Well, now everyone's paying attention. So whomever comes in now is going to be talked about all the time. Um, and, and, and in a very bizarre like, way, this, is a, this may actually give them the bump that they were looking for. Well, yes, it will be. I mean, I, 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 that's how I feel about it, is that, you know, we're still far enough away from an election that they can salvage this, but they've got to be smart. And my word of advice to the PC party, you better get your act together, circle the wagons, and start working like a team. Because what can happen in these situations, Bill, is you get interest groups that say, oh, now's our chance. You know, the base on the further right, were very, they hated Patrick Brown. They felt betrayed by him because... They don't believe that he's a real conservative because he had shifted the party to the center. And so there, there will be that faction who say, okay, now's our time, rise up, rise up. And then there will be other people who want for their own self-interest to get into play. They all got to take a step back and say, what is good for the province of Ontario, number one, and what is good for our party, and who can get elected? What they don't want is this turning into a sideshow um, of the Doug Fords getting in and, and this becoming a circus. So my, my advice would be, Keep your mouth shut, you know, remain loyal to your party. And if you play this smart, rally behind the leader that is picked, because otherwise they'll lose and, and the party will be destroyed. Uh, so much going on on this, and I know you're busy already this morning uh, working the phones for tonight's show. So we, uh, we'll listen with great anticipation later on tonight with uh, On Point to Alex uh, right here on CHML. Thanks for this today. Cheers, Bill. Betcha. Alex Pearson, of course. I uh, listen for her tonight, 8 o'clock on point uh, here on 900 CHML. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. The union that represents Ontario College faculty has launched a charter challenge of the back-to-work legislation that the Wynn government enacted back in November to end that five-week-long strike. Uh, they say it violated the workers' rights, and uh, they have filed the papers, as they promised they were going to do. Warren Smokey Thomas, the president of OPSU, uh, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Smokey, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Oh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, you talked to us about this back in uh, in November, that uh, this was uh, something that you were considering. Uh, did, did it take a while be, uh, to, to build a case for this, or was it just a matter of, of, of getting the papers together? What, what took you so long to actually file the motion, Smokey? Well, it, it, uh, well, as my lawyer tells me, there's a lot more work to it than I would understand, and he's exactly right about that. That's why we pay lawyers, because they know this I, stuff. Yeah, I pay him to give me good advice, and he's never steered me wrong yet, so I'll take his advice. But uh, in my union, like slow and steady is the course, um, we believe that uh, when the government uh, legislated the workers back, that violated the Charter of Canada. Uh, there have been cases in the past where there's been rulings that interfering in collective bargaining is... Uh, is the uh, is a violation of the constitution although nothing is ever that clear cut every case has to be assessed on its own merits we did win a case uh, i and uh, my union and some uh, other unions the teachers unions and qp uh, when uh, the government uh, overrode collective agreements in the education sector and imposed uh, zeros we won that we were able to get uh, a settlement of in essence in short that Workers got what they would have got for a raise if they'd have got the 1.5 or whatever it was. 
So, but we did establish that it was a violation of things. Uh, and again, this court, um, we've not won this by any stretch. There are a lot more steps to go through before it gets into any sort of a court phase or conversation phase. Uh, but we did promise to take a very serious look at it. We did promise that if we thought that uh, we had a case, we would file. Uh, we have consulted uh, with the bargaining team that was involved and their division executive, and they uh, they were very vocal that they wanted to challenge it, and we were very firm that, first off, we, had to see if we thought there was a case. And uh, so we think there's a case to be made, so we filed. But again, there's a lot of steps before you get to anywhere where there's any sort of... Uh, Smokey, you've been in and around these sorts of things for a long time now. Maybe you could add some clarity to this, because this was a question I asked during the strike last fall, and, and even when the, the, the legislation was introduced by the government. Is At what point did they decide? I, I'm, is there anything enshrined or, or a rule or even an unwritten rule that says, okay, this has gone on too long, we're just going to do this, or is it really just an arbitrary decision by the government of the day? It's an arbitrary decision by the government of the day, uh, that in their opinion there's irreparable harm, all those sorts of things. <clears throat> so that will be the crux of, uh, I, I think that will be kind of the crux of what's uh, debated here, is, is when would when would the government be justified in intervening. But part of, our, but part of my argument with the government was, they, in the legislation, they ha- in the college legislation, they have the ability to intervene in bargaining anytime they want by directing their side, right, the employer council, to bargain in good faith or to change their stance. They can direct their bargaining team because the College Council for Managers, it is actually a, a creature of the government of Ontario. So they could have intervened anywhere along the way. They let it, I don't know whether they just weren't paying attention or whatever. They let it go on three weeks, or five weeks, sorry. Uh, you know, uh, two weeks got added because the council, you know, forced this final offer vote on, which, of course, was resoundingly defeated by, you know, that overwhelming majority of people is voting. And uh, uh, so then the government thought, uh-oh, we've got to do something. So part of what I said to the government, three hours to try to, for two groups that can't stand each other, bargain a collective agreement isn't really reasonable. But there were, and the employer, once the employer council, you know, cottoned on that the government was, you know, they were banking on legislation, I, I guess that would be the way I'd put it, to end it, so they didn't have to agree to anything. So then, of course, you get an arbitrary settlement. And part of what we're saying is the team is saying that they would have rather still continue to try to bargain some language around some things that will now end up being litigated or have a strong potential of being fought over because the arbitrator's award will now, you, you want to interpret all that language. Uh, both parties will try and interpret it their way, and then I, I suspect we'll see more uh, fights. My goal in part of all this is to try and uh, we got, you know, just a little under, almost four years, a little under four years now to try and improve labor relations, improve the bargaining climate in this sector so that we don't suffer another strike, so that students aren't, you know, locked out of the classrooms, and that when we avoid it. And and I'm big on very, you know, on, on promoting positive labor management relations. Uh, you know, we settled 99.5% of our contracts. We bargained around 700, a little over 700 contracts, and and we, you know, almost everyone gets settled with other strikes, but this is a sector with a long history of animosity, three strikes in the academics, uh, one unnecessary strike in the cat support people. 
and part of it is the culture of management and uh, and how they deal with the union and, and workers, frankly. I what mean, what, uh, what are you shooting for here, Smokey? It, it, let's let's go down the road here yeah. and assume that you you actually are successful, or your lawyers rather are successful in in proving that this was unconstitutional and it does violate the charter. Yeah. Uh, do you want them to rip up the agreement? Are you looking for a, a, an arbitrary increase? Are you looking for uh, well arbitration? I mean, what's what's well, the goal here if you are successful? Well, I'm going to say more in public than I probably should, but so what we've said is we want them to declare that the contract has expired and go back into bargaining. I don't know if we'd ever get there or not, but at, at a minimum, what I'm trying to do is drag the government and the employer to, into a process where they have to talk about it. And, uh, you know, they're doing one big major step, and that, you know, it was our idea, officer's idea, in fact, it was my idea, to have a task force to look at the next 50 years. I pitched it to our team and to the government. And, all, you know, after some hashing around, the government's doing it, which I think is a very, very positive step. And it may may resolve some of our concerns, but I don't know how it's now their task force, not ours, right? So I don't know how how broad the scope will be. I hope it's very broad, and I hope it includes business. But And there, I'm hoping that we'll get an opportunity to have the employer and the union sit down at a table and say, all right, how can we improve things in the future? They can do that at any time, but so far the employer side is unwilling, our side's willing to do it. But uh, so bottom line is here uh, for me, uh, I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball what the outcome will be. And uh, things change along the way. But I really am just trying to force a process where the parties have to get together, have to talk. The government has to come to some sort of an understanding here of how they were, their lack of uh, involvement in an issue that was clearly of grave concern to them should have been sooner. So there's a whole host of things I, I hope to get. I believe in dialogue. I, I believe in having the parties hash out, even if you don't like each other. I still believe in dialogue. And uh, I'm, uh, uh, you know, my union, we will push the envelope to get there. And this is one way of, of uh, forcing, uh, you know, the issue to be discussed and examined. And, and uh, a neutral third party, which is what the courts are, say, uh, hey, union, you're wrong, or union, you're right, or you're both wrong, or you're both right. So you know, I have no idea where to go, but, but, but for me, the outcome is, to, to make things better so we avoid a, a punch-up like this in the future because I don't like seeing students suffer in the, in the getting caught in the crossfire. Well, that was a classic example of nobody wins. Uh, you know, the, the, the teachers, it. the instructors, the, you know, I, I, we have a student, yeah. our son is, is, is attending that school. I know a lot of the instructors at, yeah. uh, at Mohawk here in Hamilton. Uh, everybody was ticked off by that, and rightly so, and, and I, I can get where that's coming from. And I, I listen, I applaud you for wanting to have that dialogue, Smokey. That's a great idea, but you know... And I know from talking to those folks that uh, there was a lot of animosity across the table uh, during those uh, strikes. But well, first of all, during the negotiations, and certainly after that, uh, it's going to be very difficult to have a, a, a decent conversation about some of the things that you well, just brought up here because I don't think these guys like each other. No, they don't. But I look at it this way: I'm a leader, right? And there are people that don't like me, and there are people that I don't like. There's people I don't trust. I have always been taught in the union from the very day I got involved as a union steward. You will meet people that you do not trust. You will meet people that you do not like, but you can work with them. You just understand that you don't like them and that you don't trust them, but you go from a position of principle, right? So you have principles that, are, that you govern your life by. I have principles that I, I live by, and I live by them every day. And uh, I've had them questioned, but I, I stick to my guns. And I think that whether you like each other or not, you can come into a room. But you got you got to do is put on the table what is in the best interest of the organization and the people that we serve, and that would be the students and the public and business and everybody else. 
what is in that, what is in their best interest. So if you, and you can agree to things. I mean, I've been in rooms with people and I think, you know, I really don't trust them. Not even writing that that would be governments and some employers. But at the end of the day, you can't stop trying. I mean, and again, I am all about forcing people to talk. And can I just tell you quickly how I got that way? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I believe in labor management and joint training, right, on relationship building. Years and years ago when I was a local president, I was a stubborn SOB and I was an angry young man. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, I was full of, you know, vim and vigor and, uh, and uh, you know, just entrenched in my one way of thinking. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of trouble with my employer as local president. So my staff rep, uh, God rest his soul, he passed away a few years ago, but he was a great mentor. He forced me into, uh, he did, the union forced me into agreeing to end the employer, put us both in a room, agreeing to just joint labor management training. And I got to see the other side firsthand, and I got to understand some of my behaviors weren't appropriate. And that, and it was a very, uh, helped me mature a great deal as a leader. And, uh, but it worked. We never got uh, what I would call the extreme fringes on either side into the end of the fold sort of thing, but we did create that common middle ground where we could work out issues. And at the end of it all, over the years that my, my administrator was there at the hospital, we developed a very good working relationship. We didn't always agree. Sometimes we passionately disagreed. But we could go and sit down and have a cup of coffee or lunch together in the cafeteria and talk about our kids. But does this does that go on now, Smokey? Uh, because here's here's my, here's my concern, and I'm I'm sure I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, with the back to work legislation, okay, the kids got back, the students should I should say got back. Uh, a lot of the stuff that was very contentious never got resolved, and if there's, if, if there's not going to be any discussion going forward, those are the same issues that are going to come up next time the contracts up. And and and, and again, are we get just going in a vicious circle here if if they, we don't have some resolution? It well, doesn't have to I'm, be a, a contract negotiation, but at least some dialogue. Well, that's why I'm trying to, my part to force the parties into a room, and I always put it this way, you know. Put your guns on the table, sheath your weapons, or whatever you want to call it. Slide your chairs back, take a pause, a time out here, and reflect. There's been some time to pass, and uh, our folks, and, and I can tell you, I've talked to them, they are desirous of a better relationship, and they are willing to put the past behind them, and they're w- really willing to work at it all. So I, I do have confidence from my side of the table that we can, uh, we can effect some positive change. But the government needs to do something about their side of the table. That'd be the college council, right? So there's mm-hmm. uh, things that they could do both ways. But let me put it this way. I'm not going to not try. I'm going to give it that old college try, if you will, and, and try to make things better. And I know that the folks on my side of the table feel the same way. So we're going to do our best. So this is one of the tools in the toolbox for us to, you know, always uh, you know drive people to a conversation, drive people to find some kind of reasonable compromise. And, uh, you know, sort of examine what's happened to date and then figure out some ways to try to avoid it in the future. And that is to try to build a relationship again. We know nobody, I don't know anybody that likes everybody they know in their life. I mean, we all have our, you know, you know what I mean? It's a, but in this business, you know, it, it is trust and respect that you have to build. And, uh, that, and part of that talking, though, is you can start to understand each other perhaps a little better. And uh, and I do hope the government says has said in the past that they want to look at how their side, how the college council operates, and I think that is critical. Absolutely, uh, you know that is critical on their side too. So you know the premier tells me and Deb Matthews tells me they're all they're, they're going to do that, and I, I trust that they will. Actually, I think that they're actually taking a very serious look. Uh, it's a bit you know a bit onerous coming into an election, but uh, 
but they've set the wheels of motion on the task force. I put forward our names. Uh, you know, they've assigned a person in the government to uh, uh, spearhead getting it all together. I don't know who's going to chair it. They have to pick somebody up to do that. But yeah, well, they so, they seem to have other to other things on their future. mind these days. Uh, yeah, Smokey, well, we got we got to break it off at this stage. Right. Uh, the ball's in their court. We'll see how they react to uh, to what you guys have filed yeah. in court, and we'll certainly stay in touch. Thanks for the time today, okay. Smokey. Thank you, Smokey Thomas, of course, president of Opsu. Uh, still some fallout from the uh, the community college uh, strike that uh, happened last fall. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.